0: If you have a Bible, iPhone, iPad, or whatever you use, Android, whatever those things are, turn to Ephesians chapter five. We're continuing the study in Him for Him, and we've made it to chapter five. And uh, I tell you, uh, this—this—so many people have commented on the sermons and different things, but I'm just going to tell you, it's—you can't mess up the book of Ephesians. Uh, There's just too much in there. It's just rich. And today, we're continuing on with uh, some things that that Paul is challenging us with. Well, you've heard of the Intimidator. Now, when I say the Intimidator, who do you think of? That's right, NASCAR fans, a lot of rednecks in here. We appreciate that. You've heard of the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember him? I'll be back, that guy. Uh, We've heard of the Transformers. But today, I want to talk to you about the transformed imitator, okay? Uh, kind of clever with the uh, the, the title there. <laughs> look at the introduction there on your outline. Paul continues his narrative of taking off and putting on. Now, here in this passage, he starts with what needs to be put on, and he ends what we're going to look at today with those things that need to be taken off. It appears that Paul is taking us on a journey to find the true meaning of love And it's counterfeit sexual sin. And that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning. The first thing I wanna start with, I wanna jump right in, so look there on your outline. Uh, First of all, we're to imitate the God of love. In in, in Ephesians chapter five and verse one, the very first thing, the first word there is the word therefore. Now, Paul constantly uses this whole idea of therefore. Uh, it, it, It appears in many of Paul's letters that he builds upon certain principles, or he builds, uh, when, as he's introducing things, a, a good theology. And he's doing this in the book of Ephesians also. Uh, if you look at verse 17, he says now, uh, of chapter 4, he says, This I say, therefore. And then you come to verse 25, he says, therefore. What he's doing is he's, he's building the statement, he's building the argument. And then we come to chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, therefore. Again, what he's doing, he's calling our attention backwards to chapter 4. We are reminded, and here's what we're reminded in chapter 4, that the saints of God have been saved by the grace of God, and because they have been saved, they are different in the way that they walk, in the way that they talk, and even in the way that they think. And then he says this, there are areas or in every area of our life, our lives need to be different from that of the world. And so he challenges us in chapter 4, verse 22, about the old man of sin, it should be put off or taken off. There's certain things. So look at what he says in verse 22. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. These are things that need to be put off, and we saw those last week, and he's going to continue the same theme today. And then the new man, created in righteousness. We need to put on certain things. Look at what he says in Ephesians 4, 24, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's what all this looks like. The whole language of what he's saying in chapter 4 and chapter 5 up to this point is this. If you call yourself a Christian, if you were someone who used to be dead in your sins and, and wayward apart from God, but now you're in Christ, okay, things are different. Certain things were laid aside, put off, and certain things were taken out. And that is the language of Scripture as it relates to us coming to know Christ. Now, since we've been made a new creation in Jesus, we are to live as a new creation in our daily lives. Look at the verse here on the screen, 1 John chapter 2. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. How do we know? Because of the love that's there. And it says this, he who says he abides in him ought ought himself also walk just as he walked. And so it's not a matter of just kind of living a life that's good. It's not a matter of saying, okay, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to start living this way. The life that we're called to live is a life that imitates who Christ is. And so look at verse 5, chapter 5, I mean, excuse, yeah, chapter 5, verse 1 again. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, the word imitator there means to mimic. To mimic. The command here is for the people of God to imitate God, meaning we are to learn all we can about Him and then mimic His nature and His characteristics. But how are we to do this? Verse 1 tells us. As children, as children. Now, how many of you have noticed that children watch their parents? They do. How many of you, maybe you're raising your children now or maybe you've raised your children years ago. How many of you were not always thrilled with the fact that they mimicked you? It astonished you. So how many of you ever looked at your kid and said, where did that come from? Well, where did it likely come from? Came from you probably. Probably. And the thing that we need to understand is what Paul was saying here. He's saying just as children mimic their parents, we are to mimic God. Children often have their, their parents' nature. They copy their parents' behaviors. You can be around a kid and you can see their parents and the way that they walk and the way that they talk and the things that they do. And then Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says as obedient children not conforming yourselves to our former lust as in your ignorance but, he has call, but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in your conduct because it is written be holy for I am holy. You know what Peter is saying? He's saying that the heart of God wishes this that you become like God. It doesn't mean you're gonna become God. It doesn't mean that all the attributes of God will be given to you because there are certain things that are only attributed to God. But there are ways in which God conducts himself in his nature that we are called to take on. Here are some. He is holy, we are to be holy. He forgives, we are to be forgiving. He is truthful, we are to be truthful. He is patient, we are to be patient. He's kind, we should be kind. He is compassionate, we are to be compassionate. But here's the good one. He is loving and we are to be loving, which leads us to the fact that we are to not only imitate God, look on your outline, we are to emulate the love of Christ. So we're gonna imitate God, we're gonna observe God, how he conducts himself, what is his nature, and we're gonna mimic that. But it doesn't stop there. We move on to the love of of Christ. Look at verse two. He says this, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, the word walk here, we've looked at this word before, but it literally means how one lives their lives. It's the daily walk. It's how one regulates their life. Now, in this context, it means that our lives are to be controlled controlled to be driven, to be defined by our love, Uh, namely the love that's demonstrated by Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know of a love that is greater than that love that Christ has for us that has already been demonstrated? We don't know of a greater love, do we? And yet we are called to not only be imitators of God, we are called to emulate the love that Christ had for us. So we are to love as God loves. When the Lord saved us, he did so with a purpose. God's purpose in redemption, listen to this, you've heard this before, is to make us more like his son. How do we know that? Well, look at the verse here on the screen, uh, Romans chapter 8. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is calling us out. We are to not only imitate who God is, we are also to emulate the love of of Christ, but it goes further than that. We are to emulate the life of Christ and what he stood for and what his life was all about. 1 John chapter 3 says this, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then think of this. God's love for Christ and for us calls the Father to accept the offering and sacrifice of the Son on the cross. And and here's what the Father said. He said it was a sweet-smelling savor. That is the language of the Old Testament sacrificial system. It's that whole idea of the priest going in and, and putting a, a, a sacrifice on the altar. And the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that when, the, when those uh, sacrifices go up to God and, and the, the motivation is right for the sacrifice and, and it's given for the right reason, and all the things that surround it are lifted up to him. There in heaven, he says, it's a sweet savor to him, sweet-smelling savor. So we see it's the same terminology. Therefore, when we love like Christ, it is a sweet-smelling savor to God. Think about that. Here, here's a great statement I, I came across this past week. Genuine love is always measured by what it gives, not by what it gains. So many times, here's what we do. This, we, when we try to size up love, many times in our own minds, we try to look at it and we say, okay, well, what's in it for me? If it's a great love, it'll be something that I've gained in the process. That's not a biblical view of what love is. It's not the love that simulated of Christ. Here's what we need to understand: It's not about what is gained in the transition of love or transaction of love. It is what is given, and that's what God did through His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave. What did He give? He gave His Son. So, the new reality of being transformed. And, of course, the whole idea of transformation is taking off certain things, like we said the last couple of weeks, and putting on certain things. It look, looks like this to Paul. It means we are to put on, the, uh, put on imitate the, uh, the God of love, and emulate the love of Christ. But we are to take off or separate from sexual sin. Now, I want you to notice what he does here. In chapter 5, you look at verses 1 and 2, and what is the whole language? Here's God, learn about him, mimic him. Here's love, the true picture of love, emulate what Christ has done. That love that he's given, you emulate that. But then he says, he says, you put these things on, but there's something you gotta take off. Because if you don't take these things off, it will corrupt what's happening over here. Guess what he names? He names sexual sin. And that's what he's talking about here. So, when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, now here's what you got to understand. We studied this as we introduced the whole letter. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he wrote to a sex-saturated society. Does that sound familiar? But that is who he was writing to. The great temple of Diana, which there's, there's remains that they found today, The great temple of Diana, I'm talking about, when I say great, I'm not talking about all that went on in there as being great. I'm talking about it was an impressive sight. It was there in Ephesus. It overlooked the city. It was filled with thousands seeking sexual satisfaction. That's what was going on, prostitutal worship. There were those in which they were deceived so much that they thought to worship the gods, and by the way, they worship gods, that they could go there and and be with a prostitute, and that would be a a form of worship before the gods. That is defilement, is what the Bible calls that. And so he's, he's calling this out. You see, Ephesus was known as the sexual sin capital of the world. And the acts of sexual sin were carried out here in the temple of Diana. Paul is telling those in Ephesus and us today to separate from sexual sin. Y'all, I'm just going to be honest with you. There probably wasn't much of a difference between what was going on in Ephesus and what goes on right here in our own nation on a day-to-day basis. You see, when it comes... To imitating God and emulating the love of Christ. Look on your outline. There are actions we must avoid, there are things that get in the way. We are to not look like the world and have their appetites. I'm just gonna tell you what you have an appetite for really does identify who you are, really does. And, and, and so, what he's saying, look at what he says in verse three. He says, but fornicators or, or fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse gesturing, which are not fitting. These things, these things that I've, I've listed here, they should not describe you who are trying to imitate God and emulate the love of Christ. That should not be a part of your life. Now, let's look at these things. Let's pull them out. Fornication. This word refers to all type of sexual sin. All sex outside of marriage. It includes sex before marriage, adultery, homosexuality, and sexual lust. Sexual immorality is an insatiable craving to have sexual pleasure that really aren't ours to enjoy. Sexual immorality should not be a part of the life that is attempting to imitate God or emulate the love of Christ. That's what he's telling us here. Now, think of this. We are sexual beings and we all face temptations in this area. However, we must be careful that the temptations are not allowed to become a reality. Let me give you some warning verses in Scripture. And these are pretty powerful verses. You may want to write them down. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, look at what it says. Strong war- warnings against sexual sin. Here's what it says. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. Now, 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 there's two ways to look at this whole idea of lacks understanding. One way is the fact that they don't understand what this could possibly do to them when they do this. They don't understand what the possible outcome could be another way of looking at this is the fact that once a person is given over to their, their desires and their sexual lust all of a sudden the things that seem rational are no longer rational anymore. They're, 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 they're called away they're carried away by these things is the way the Bible calls it. they're carried away by it. So whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. he who does so destroys his own soul. you know what that literally means? That means when this happens, there's a part of him or her that can never, they can never get back. There's an innocence that is lost, there is a guilt that is brought upon that person. Listen, every person that I've ever counseled or talked to who, who, has, who has done this, they'll tell you that that's exactly what happens. That they lose all focus of reality. They lose that focus. They lose the focus between what is right and what is wrong. But it doesn't end there. All of a sudden, there's a part of them that becomes missing, that becomes missing, especially if they're married to another human being. There's something that is lacking there. Well, Proverbs chapter six Solomon saying, yeah, there's all kinds of issues that come with this. Look at look at the rest of the verse. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. What this verse is not this verse is not saying that that sin cannot be forgiven. All sin can be forgiven. You do know that, right? It can be forgiven. What he's talking about here is the fact that it leaves a mark. When you do certain things, there are certain things that leaves a mark on your soul. Put things in motion. What he's saying is you put things in motion that you wish were not there. It leaves its mark on a person. Here's another verse. If you don't believe the Old Testament, let's look at the New Testament. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, flee sexual immorality. What does it mean to flee? It literally means to run as hard as you can away from it. Go in the other direction. How many of you know that there's two people in the Old Testament? David, who ran to sexual immorality, and Joseph of the Old Testament, who ran away from sexual immorality. You have both of their stories. When you go do a comparison of those two men, and and, and of course, David, let me just tell you this. He was a man after God's own heart. Guess what? His sin was eventually forgiven, but it came at a price. There was a part of him that was missing. If you don't believe it, write this chapter down, Psalms chapter 51. Look at what David's sin of adultery cost him. Look at the anguish that put him in. And you see that, it's so clear. But he says, flee, run from this, Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. This verse seems to imply that sexual sin is unlike any other sin. It affects us differently and is capable of destroying not only us, but those even closest to us. I mean, it's very destructive. And that's what he's talking about here. You know, it's amazing when, you, when, when you're called on as a pastor to help people pick up the pieces of their lives. And, and it is. It's amazing as a pastor, sometimes you deal with things that are pretty cut uh, clear and in Scripture and you just call it what it is. And, and then there are those times in which people come in and, and you're looking at it and you're trying to... But let me just tell you this. When it comes to sexual immorality, it's unlike anything you'll ever counsel because it affects so much of the person. And not only the person, but the people around that person. Next, he says this, all uncleanness. This word speaks to corruption and rottenness. It refers to impure motives and living that propagate sexual sin. It's the whole idea, really, if you put it in a nutshell, pornography. Uncleanness is used to describe, listen, when you use it in the context of the scriptures of that day, it literally describes decaying bodies, found in a grave. That's what sexual sin can do to a person. And by the way, I've talked to enough who've been involved in it who will tell you that they feel like death on the inside. That's what sexual immorality can lead to. That's what it feels like. And uncleanness, uh, it describes the internal condition of the heart which believes the lie that pleasure can be found by contradicting what God has commanded. Not only does it offend God's law, but it contaminates those who participate. Listen, it is an impure lifestyle that dishonors God, disregards his word, and degrades others. That's what it's all about. That's the outcome. Here's another word, covetousness. This word refers to greed and lust. Now think about what that means. It is the insane quest to consume filth. It is a desire to possess that which belongs to another. It is a desire to possess that which should not be taken. That's covetousness. It leads to idolatry. You know why it leads to idolatry? Because there are certain things that are out there. Let's just face it. Let's put it on the bottom shelf. There are certain things that are out there that we we, we covet, that our our lust calls us to go after. And here's where it becomes adultery. When we know what God expects, when we know the truth of God's word, it says flee immorality. We know all those things, but we choose to follow our lust and the appetites of our flesh. You know what we're doing? Because it's running contrary to who God is and his nature and his word. We are choosing to place that, listen, over God in our lives. And that can be very destructive. But that's where it leads many times. Many justify their immorality on the basis of what they call love. Listen, it's not love which drives one to deny God's law. It is, however, their own greed, lust, and selfishness. I've I've actually had people tell me this. They'll say, this was years ago, but a person came one time and said, I need to meet with you. And I said, that's, that's fine. I'd love to meet with you. And came in and basically they said, uh, I think God call, is calling me to leave my wife. I said, really? I said, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, there's someone else that's coming to my life. And, and here's the words. You've heard it before. I think they're my soulmate. Don't that just give you goosebumps? It should terrify you. That people can look at God's word so flippantly and, and then, listen, not only be, live contrary to God's word, but tell, tell you what is contrary to God's word as if it is God's word. That is the epitome, I'm just gonna tell you, it's the epitome of arrogance and pride. When you choose to rewrite the God of the universe who put forth his truth, when you choose to rewrite it, And that's what many people do. Let's keep moving. In this list of sexual sin, Paul moves from what we do to what we say. Uh, Look at a word, filthiness. The word speaks of obscenity and crudeness, which is shameful. It speaks of those things that are dirty in nature. It's vulgarities that that would have been considered pornographic a generation ago are freely used in our day. How many of you have noticed the slow creep of filthiness in our society? I mean, think about it. Something 20 years ago, if we were to take what is called original programming, I mean, on the, the main networks in prime time, some channels that call themselves family networks, if you were to take them all the way back 20 years ago and place them there, you know what they would be re- re- uh, rated? be rated R or even worse. It's amazing how we, it slowly has creeped in And it's there and a lot of us don't even realize it. Someone has said that we as a nation have lost the ability to blush. That's pretty true. Let me say this to parents. And I realize there'll be a lot of younger parents in this next service. There's parents here and grandparents. Do you realize that we as parents... We're called to do a lot of things in the lives of our children. But did you know that one of our responsibilities is to be the gatekeepers of our home? Did you know that? Do you know why? I told my son the other day. I said, you're going to have a tougher time raising your children than we had raising you. Because there's so many ways the enemy can get into the life of that child that were not available 10 years ago. 20 years ago I said you know it it horrifies me the social media and all the different things and all the apps and all the different things that can happen on the phone and and and, and I'll be honest with you there's fifth graders who know a whole lot more about what's going on with the social media than we ever thought and 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 here's what I say I I said I don't know I said son let me encourage you keep up with what's going on because I'm lost if I had to raise a, a, a child in this day and age, there's no telling what, the, I would just have to say, no phone for you, no computer, nothing. We're gonna, I mean, but you got to stay up with these things. Parents have got to be aware. I can't tell you how many times the tragedy are hitting even homes here in our, in our church family where parents are appalled of what their teenagers are, are, are dealing with and going through and got themselves into. We're called to be gatekeepers when it comes to our children. Here's another one, foolish talking. You know what it literally means? Moronic moronic speech. It speaks of the use of obscenities and crude words. But in our day, we would call it probably day-to-day speech. But it's out there. Coarse jesting. It refers to those who twist everything into certain dirty. How many of you notice that, that most humor on TV, comedy, is taking something that is just normal and taking everything and making it dirty? How many of you have noticed that's what they call good humor or good comedy is doing in our day and age? And, and so that's what's happening. And all of a sudden, everything's got a sexual innuendo to it. You can't even watch a cartoon that is directed to your own children without something like that being in it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. This kind of dirty speech always comes from a dirty heart. We are to avoid such things. things, Listen, these three words in verse 4 point to a dirty mind expressing itself in a dirty conversation. Next, look on your outline. Paul is saying there are actions we must avoid, but there's an attitude we must adopt. Now, how many of you came here today expecting a Thanksgiving sermon? (laughs) This is the part of it. I was sitting there and I was looking through and I said, "Okay, God, you, you've called us to study the Book of Ephesians and we're going verse by verse. Thanksgiving's coming up. I mean, what do you got in store for us?" And He gave us this one little blurb. Look at chapter five. I want you to look at uh, the last part of verse four. He says, "But rather, what? Giving of thanks." So we are to put these things off. And one thing we need to adopt is attitude of of gratefulness, thanksgiving. So there's an attitude we must. Paul moves the conversation of extreme selfishness to selflessness. That's what he's doing here. Instead of engaging in sins that degrade others, destroy us, and dishonor God, we should possess a heart that overflows with praise for all that he has done and for us through his grace that we don't have to be in bondage to such things. Let me tell you, one of the worst bondages I've ever seen anyone in is sexual bondage. It's, 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 it's hard. I mean, it's difficult. And so many people find themselves there. Carry this a step further, this whole idea of gratefulness. Carry this a step further. Many times the reason we, we are caught up in sexual sin is because we covet something that is not ours, a lust for another human being. We should be grateful for what God has provided. Sex within marriage and the person he's put in our lives to have sex with. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, listen to what it says. In everything, give thanks. What does that include? Everything. The person that God has brought into our lives to come into a relationship with, to become one with, we're to be thankful For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just tell you this. God is not anti-sex. Did you know that? Some of you are sitting there and saying, man, don't go there. He's not. He created it. He created it in a beautiful context. But we've got the enemy in the world degrading it, bringing it down as low as it can be. But it is. God lives his idea all along. Inside of marriage, he commands a husband and a wife to have a physical, intimate relationship. It's part of the relationship. He's not against it. But it must be in the proper context in which it takes place. Here's a little side note. I realize this is an older congregation, but there could be someone in here today. This is for you. There's a side note for those of you who are not yet married and hope one day to be, believe that God's going to bring someone in your life. One of the great benefits of no sex before marriage is the fact that you get to know a person before you get to know a body. You get to know a person. Let me tell you what happens in the dynamics of a relationship, especially one that's just blooming. When you awaken your sexual appetite for a person, all you can think about is the body. It becomes central to that, and it's much easier. much easier to overlook the more important issues of a relationship, getting to know the getting to know the person, get to know them emotionally, get to know them mentally, get to know them spiritually, where they stand. And guess what? God holds the physical part for after marriage. But you know what? We you know what? You know what our society is teaching us? The oh, this needs to be on the front end. If you're not compatible sexually, then you have no relationship. Man, that that is a lie from the enemy. And the thing that we need to understand is there are certain things that must, God has mandated that it look like this. But you know what the world says? No, let's change it up a little bit. Let's do this. Let me just tell you this. Everything that God puts in his word, every law that he puts in there is for our betterment. It's for our good. It's not withholding something from you. Is putting in its proper context. Here, here's another one. There are arguments we must acknowledge. These sins that he lists do not illustrate transformation. Look at verse 5. He said, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That means all these things. You're supposed to imitate God. You're supposed to emulate the love of Christ. None of these are at your disposal if you're over here putting these central to your heart and you're putting these things out there. There should be no doubt that these things do not illustrate that we are being transformed into the image of God's Son and should cause us to reflect on what what they really reveal about our lives. And for some people, you know what it reflects? It reflects. It reflects that they have no relationship with God. Or it reflects the fact that maybe they do and they're deceived. I've met people, I'm just gonna tell you now, you, we really don't know the heart of people. You do know that, right? But I've met people who appear to have a love for God, a sincerity about their salvation, who are caught up, who are deceived in sexual sin. I've met them. And I'm just gonna tell you, They're in bondage like you could ever not like, I mean, because they know it's wrong and they still go there. It's a sad place. Those whose lives are characterized by these things in verse five stand condemned by God. Sexual sin is a serious matter to God. Colossians chapter three, look at what it says. Therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth. Now, your members. Is, is talk, members is always a, 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 an idea of the fact that your flesh has a way of controlling you. And, and it's the things, the members are, are the way your flesh reaches out to the things of this world. Okay? So that's the context there. He says, which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. And then here's what he calls it. These things are idolatry because they're not supposed to be in your life and God's word says they should not be there, but when you choose to put them there, you place them over God. Always a dangerous place to be. Next, these sins do invite God's wrath. God does not excuse or tolerate our sin. Look at verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And by the way, you know there's a lot of empty words out there right now. You know that, right? Fool's words is what you could say there. Those uh, words are contrary. Listen, those words are contrary to who God is, his nature and his law and his truth, but are presented in such a way that you attempt to rationalize those things and put them over God. That's what empty words are. It's, It's believing the lies. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let me just say this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that the wrath that should have been intended to be poured out upon us was poured out on Christ. You do know that, right? The Bible is very clear about that. So if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? His wrath will not be poured out upon you. He's talking about the sons of disobedience. He's talking about those who who have who are not even looking at God. They don't consider God. They they never have. They're walking contrary to God in a way that they're living in rebellion and have no heart for God. But let me just say this. Did you know while the wrath of God may not touch those who are believers, that it's possible to live in sin in such a way that you feel like the wrath of God is poured out upon you? You ever been there? Not a good place to be. It invites God's wrath. Next, there's an authority we must accept. Look at what he says in verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. The word partaker there can be it could, the word could be imitate. Don't imitate them, don't follow them. What are, who are we told to imitate at the beginning of the of this section? Imitate God. Don't imitate the world. Listen to this when we partake with the sin with excuse me when we partake with the world in sin we also partake with them in judgment Titus chapter 2 for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age in the age in which we're called to live so here's the application We are called to be imitators of God and not imitators of this world. Left to our flesh with the help of the enemy and the enticements of this world, we will pursue sinful lust. If we leave it to our flesh, and Christians are perfectly capable of doing this, if we operate in the flesh, this is where it will lead. However, we should be identified by our love for God and others. And here's the question. Which does your life imitate, God and his love or this world and its lustful sin? Let me say this. Sexual sin has done more to destroy the family than I believe any other sin. And y'all, listen. It doesn't just leave its mark on those who are involved. It affects everyone around them. And guess what? It can even affect the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. How do we not go in that direction? He says, Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't ever give it an opportunity, don't don't go where you think it may be. And then we heard earlier, flee, run. I want to close with this. Didn't intend to do this until this morning. I was sitting there in my office, and I was like, "Okay, God, how do you want me to close this?" And and God kept bringing me back to this, to the pat, to the to the fact that there may be someone here today who's going to hear this message. And and, and 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 here's one of three people sitting here today, as it relates to sexual sin. They they there's a group here that. Have made no provision to fulfill its lust. They've run every time it showed its ugly face. They've said no. I, I I choose God. I choose His way above this. Thank goodness for those, right? But could there be another person who's here today, and maybe they've bought into the lie. They bought into the empty words. the The world was so convincing that it would be okay. And their flesh was so convinced that they wanted what they knew they shouldn't have that they embraced it anyway. That's the second group of people here. They've already done that. They're living now in the guilt of it all. Or there's a third group here. In this service, this sermon serves as a warning to you. A warning that you're on that path. That that you're making provision for the flesh that you're not fleeing it, you're, you're moving towards it slowly and gradually. Every man that I've ever met who got caught up in sexual sin, it wasn't just like that that they fell into it. It was a path that they took. They started allowing things in their life that they once would not allow. And then they took a step from there, a step from there, a step from there. And then here's, this is coming out of their mouth. This is what I hear. And then they did something that they never thought that they could ever imagine that they would do. So here's, this is for you. Here's how the the enemy is behind all this. First of all, he will cast doubt. He does this. Did you know he did that in the garden? The Garden of Eden? He cast doubt. Did you know he attempted to do the same thing with Jesus uh, out in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights? his strategy is always the same. The first thing he wants you to do is to doubt God, to doubt his word. And guess what? Sometimes that's an easy way to go when our flesh is crying out and we've already exposed itself to certain things. But he says this, that's how the enemy will do. Satan goes to the mind to fight the battle. At this point, we tend to rationalize. And here's what you need to understand. Temptation is fault in the mind, but carried out by the heart. Then there's the denial. There's always a denial. When he casts the doubt, then you will either choose to reject what he's causing you to doubt, or, or you'll, you'll buy in. And so what happens for many of us, there's a denial that we, we don't believe God's word anymore. We're don't, we don't, not so sure we can trust God. So temptation hinges on the matter of who or what you believe. That's the reason for this. Let me tell you this. That's the reason you need to, be, you need to have strong convictions, you need to stand on the word because he comes at you with that argument. And then the delusion if you go from the doubt where you're doubting who God is or you're doubting his word, you begin to de- deny that, then all of a sudden a delusion will be cast over you. And here's what part of the delusion sounds like If I could just have this, then I would be happy. You ever followed that logic and got in trouble? It's a delusion. The path of temptation needs to stop here. But then it becomes the desire. The path of temptation to sin, here's what it does. The enemy did Eve this way. Turns the look into lust. The Bible tells us when when Eve saw the fruit, something sparked. It turns the desire into a decision. The Bible says that once she looked, she saw, guess what she did? She took. It turns the choice into a chain What did she do? She ate. She became in bondage to to, to that sin. And then it turns the sinner into a seducer. You know what she did after that? She gave to her husband. It doesn't stop there. Then there's the, the decision. We make the decision to sin. And then there's the discovery. And God, I mean, this is the worst place to be. That's where David found himself when he, when he wrote Psalms 51. All of a sudden, you follow suit, you've walked away, you wake up one day and you've done something you couldn't even imagine that you would have done just years ago. All of a sudden, you've done. And all of a sudden, the guilt is more than you can handle. You anyway, know, it's, in, it's interesting that the enemy, here's what he does. I mean, he'll paint it up so beautiful for you. He'll wrap it up in such a way that will appeal just for you. I mean, he, he's good at, at hand-making something pitched just for you. He knows exactly what you want. And he's good at putting it out there and he's like, you take it. You deserve it. Oh man, you'll be happy if you'll do this. And then we take. And you know what happens immediately? All of a sudden our eyes are open. We're not, delu- we're not delusional anymore. All of a sudden we see the guilt and we have to live with that for a long time for many of us. But we don't have to. We can still give that to him. But here's what guilt does. The person feels exposed. The person withdraws from relationships. The person begins to blame others and say, well, if if it wasn't for this or wasn't for that, the whole story we find with Adam and Eve. How do we overcome temptation? Here it is, y'all. You gotta trust in the word of God. You gotta trust it so much you have conviction about God's word. You gotta trust in the God of the word. He's never, he's unchanging. Did you know, I've I've, I've seen two articles in the last month that try to convince you that God is changing his mind. I have, I've seen it. All because we want God, listen, instead of us being shaped in the image of God, we wanna shape God in our image and what we want. And that's what America's doing right now. We gotta trust in the God of the word. We got to believe that God desires the best for you. You know, something a lot of the temptation I deal with, that I've dealt with in the past, and I deal with it, it it almost tries to convince me that God is withholding something from me. Has He ever pitched it to you like that? You got to believe God. You got to get off the path of temptation. You got to quit believing the lies and turn to Him. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now and we just thank you for your word and. Or something like this today can be hard-hitting. It can be painful. Father, I know for some it's stirred up things in them they haven't dealt with in a long time. But Father, I pray for the person that's here today and each day they make a decision to choose you over the sins of this world. Father, I thank you for their testimony as they are represented here in this room. Father, I thank you for that. Father, for that second group that's here today, Maybe they they are finding themselves on that path. They know they're on that path. I've just described exactly what their thought processes have been, maybe for the last months or the last years of their life. And maybe they haven't yet gone over the edge and embraced the temptation, embraced the sin. But, Father, they're close. Father, I pray you'll call them back. Help them to realize the consequences that could come to their lives. Father, for the person that may be in this room and maybe they've already partaken and now they're living in the guilt and the shame of it all. Father, if they know you as their Lord and Savior, help them to realize that forgiveness can come to their heart, but it comes by way of repentance. It turns by, comes by way of turning around, turning their life around, turning away from the sin and turning to you. Refusing to make that an idol in their life and and choosing to worship you as holy God. Father, maybe there's someone here today that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, they don't have a clue what to do about their guilt and their shame. They just learn to cope with it and deal with it. Lord, help them to realize that there's a Savior that is calling them forward today, Lord, that wants to reach out to them with forgiveness and love and a fresh start. Father, we thank you for that Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.